Thank you. Let me say it is always good to be in Montreat, but particularly good to be here for the service of worship. Uh, as Richard has said, I did work at the tennis courts one summer, and I thought, how can you get a better job than that to get paid to play tennis? Um, and then the next summer, I was disappointed I didn't get that job again. I was a PJ counselor, but I had even more fun as a PJ counselor than I did at the tennis court. So always great to be here and certainly good to be with you all in worship this morning. Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Genesis, the 18th chapter, verses 16 through 26. Those first 11 chapters of Genesis tell the story of God's good creation and how we human beings keep messing that up. So things just get worse and worse in those first 11 chapters. Then in chapter 12 of Genesis, God does something new. God chooses Abraham and says that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the surprise here is that God does not just abandon us, but rather God decides to work patiently and slowly in us and through us to set things right. Uh, just before our lesson, Abraham has had, a, has had three visitors who are messengers from God, and they have talked about the blessings that Abraham will receive. And then we come to our text, Genesis 18, starting with verse 16. Listen now for God's word as it comes to you in the book of Genesis. Then the three men set out from there, and they looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham will become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him? No, for I have chosen him, that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. The Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah! How very grave their sin! I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the three men turned from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said to the Lord, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous in the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous and the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous in the city, then I will forgive the whole place for their sake. This is the word of the Lord. When I was in seminary, I was told that as a pastor, I would have three jobs to preach, to teach, and to give pastoral care. My professor told me that if I would do these three things, if I would preach and teach and give pastoral care, my churches would be happy and healthy and I'd have a good ministry. And so I took a little church outside Richmond for my first pastorate. I worked on preaching and teaching and pastoral care, and then the copying machine broke. And so the part-time secretary and I tried to figure out, can we fix this? Should we, should, do we have to replace it? Should we buy? Should we lease? What features can we afford? And where's the money going to come from anyway? 
A couple months after that, the secretary came back to me and said that the part-time janitor was drinking before he came to work. And that if I was gone visiting, she was afraid to be in the office alone with him. So I called the chair of the property committee and told him what was happening. We decided to fire the janitor, so we did. A week later, I got a letter from an attorney saying that I and the church were being sued for firing the janitor. Now, fortunately, I had a wise elder on the session, and he pulled me aside and he said, Ernie, you should never surprise someone when you fire them. You need to keep track of everything they've done wrong. But he said, I'm guessing that if we offer a two-week sever two severance pay, that lawsuit might go away. And it did. And so I learned two things early on in my ministry. It is good to have wise elders on your session. Uh, I am deeply grateful for our Presbyterian vision of shared leadership where, where elders and pastors seek God's will together. I also learned that I had a fourth job that nobody had told me about, and that is leadership. Uh, it's good to have wise elders on your session, but I realized that as a pastor, I needed to learn something about leadership. And so a few years later, when I was in trouble again, I discovered another book called Leadership on the Line by Ron Heifetz, Staying Alive in the Dangers of Leadership. And that book did help me stay alive as a pastor. It also changed the way I think about leadership. Heifetz says that you actually don't have to be in a position of authority to be a leader. In fact, he says sometimes it's easier to lead if you're not the one in charge. And so Heifetz says every one of us in some way is called to be a leader. Heifetz writes, every day the opportunity for leadership stands before you. Each day brings you opportunities to raise important questions, to speak to higher values, to surface unresolved conflict. And every day you have to decide whether you're going to put your contribution out there or keep it to yourself. And that's because, he says, leadership is dangerous. Leadership is difficult. Sometimes it's easier to stay silent. Sometimes it's easier not to rock the boat. But Hyphus says that leadership is your opportunity to make a difference, to affect somebody's life, to even change the world. And I think the world today needs leaders more than ever. The world needs you and needs me to raise important questions, to speak to higher values, to surface unresolved conflicts, and work for peace. And so as we look at our scripture lesson this morning, I want to think about your call and my call to lead. In a book called Lessons in Leadership, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says that leadership is the key theme of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He says over and over again we get these stories about leadership, how people fail to lead or how they lead, how they, they do something that, that God does not want us to do or how they fulfill God's command. And he says our lesson today about Abraham is one of those lessons on leadership. But he says you can't understand it without looking at the larger story that the Bible is telling. And so he says the place to start is to go back to the first three creation stories. 
Uh, the first of those stories you probably know is Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam and Eve decide to disobey God. They try to put themselves in the place of God. And God comes to them and says, what have you done? And Adam says, Eve, the woman, the woman you gave me, it's not my fault. So God turns to Eve and Eve says, the snake, snake you put in the garden, it's not my fault. And that's the first persistent human failure. We mess things up and then we look for somebody to blame. We say, it's not my fault. The next story is about Cain and Abel. So Cain gets angry, and his anger turns to violence, and he kills his brother. And God comes, and God says, what have you done? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Now notice that Cain does not try to blame somebody else. He doesn't even say he's innocent. He just says, I've got no responsibility for my brother. I am not my brother's keeper. And that's the second persistent human failure. We deny that we have any responsibility for our brother or for our sister. We say, it's not my problem. I'll do what I want. And if other people get hurt, that's their fault. And then there's a third story, the story of Noah. And I had always assumed that Noah is the hero of the story. But Rabbi Sachs says that there's something there that I have missed. God tells Noah that there's this flood coming, a flood caused by all the violence, all the injustice, all the evil that's happening. It's, it's getting worse and worse, and God has to put it to a stop. So God tells Noah to build a boat, and Noah builds the boat. He saves himself, he saves his family, he saves the animals. Rabbi Sachs says that the problem here is Noah's silence. Noah does not ask any questions. Noah does not protest. Noah does not tell anybody else that the flood is coming. Through the whole story, Noah remains silent. And Sachs says that's the third persistent human failure, that we stay silent when others are perishing. So the Bible begins with this reminder of the different ways we mess things up. We misuse the freedom God gives us. And we deny the responsibilities that come along with that freedom. And then God does something new. God chooses Abraham and says that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then you find three stories about Abraham, and those three stories about Abraham seem to parallel those first three creation stories and form a kind of contrast. So the first story about Abraham is Abraham's family and Lot's family get into a dispute. Lot is his brother's son, his nephew. Both families have gotten large. Both families are, are prosperous. They've been blessed. But there are too many people. There are too many sheep. There are not enough wells. And so they're beginning to fight with each other and things go from bad to worse. Then in Genesis 13 verse 8, Abraham goes to Lot and says... Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herders and my herders, for we are kindred. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go right. If you take the right hand, I'll go left. 
and they separate in peace. Now notice what a different story that is than the story of Adam and Eve. Abraham does not say all this fighting is somebody else's fault. He doesn't look for someone to blame. Instead, Abraham looks for a solution. He says to Lot, you pick first. You go whichever direction you want to go, and I'll go the other direction, and we'll separate in peace. Abraham does not ask who is to blame. Abraham asks, what can I do? He finds a solution that's fair, that leads to peace, and that's what leaders do. The next story about Abraham uh, is about Lot. Lot has chosen to go down into the valley below because it's lush and like a garden there, but there are other people in the garden, uh, other people down in the valley below. And so four kings attack Lot, and they capture him, and they take all of his family, all of his herds, all his possessions into captivity. And Abraham is up in the mountains above, and he hears what has happened down below. And so he organizes his men, and he goes, and he rescues Lot. He won't take any reward for what he's done. Abraham says, this is what brothers do. And again, notice the contract, contrast between that second story uh, about Abraham with Cain and Abel. Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And Abraham rescues his brother's son, even though it's difficult, even though it's dangerous. And that's what leaders do. And then there's this third story, the story about Abraham. Another disaster is coming, just like in the Noah story. And God debates, should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do or not? That might seem strange. But Rabbi Sachs says this is a key verse in the lesson. Because God is giving Abraham a kind of test. When God tells Abraham what is about to happen. Will Abraham stay silent like Noah did? Or, or will Abraham speak up? Uh, Abraham does speak up. He does ask a question, a question that sounds a little bit like an accusation. And even just that question is an act of courage. Asking questions can get you into trouble, especially when you ask questions to the one who has all the power. Rabbi Sachs says that Abraham has to have the courage to, to, to challenge God, to ask God a question, so that his descendants will have the courage to challenge human rulers. And so Abraham asked God, will you sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous? What if there are 50 innocent people in this city? Will you sweep them all away? Will you not forgive the place for the sake of those 50? Now notice what Abraham is asking here. He's not just asking God, will you take those 50 righteous people and pull them out and protect them? He's asking something much bolder than that. Abraham says, if there are 50 righteous, will you forgive the whole place for their sake? And God says, yes. God says, if there are 50 righteous, I'll forgive the whole place for their sake. And again, you see the contrast there. Noah stays silent, but Abraham speaks up. Abraham challenges the status quo. Abraham even challenges God. Abraham seeks mercy, and Abraham demands justice. 
and that's what leaders do. Jonathan Sachs says that Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, do not accept the world that is. They challenge that in the name of the world that ought to be. Every day, you and I face a choice. We can look at the problems around us and say, it's not my fault. We can look for someone to blame. We can spend our time complaining. We can say, it's not my problem. I'm not responsible for my brother. We can save ourselves, save our family, our community, our nation, and let the rest all go to hell. But that's not who we are. That's not who we are called to be. We are called to lead. Every day you have opportunities to raise important questions, to speak to higher values, to surface unresolved issues, and work for reconciliation and peace. Every day you have opportunities to look for solutions, to care for your brothers and sisters, to seek mercy, and to demand justice. But will we? That's the question our text asks of us. Will we accept God's call to lead? Will we, will we protest the world that is in the name of the world that ought to be? Will we speak up or will we stay silent? Amen.